This is Matt Hayes with Saturday Down South, and I want to tell you about a new podcast we're launching. Saturday Lives Forever is dedicated to the iconic players and moments of college football. Those unforgettable moments where you remember where you were when you watched it. Season one of Saturday Lives Forever is coming soon, but subscribe now and make sure you don't miss an episode. Search for Saturday Lives Forever in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're obsessed like us with college football and can't get enough of reliving fall Saturdays, you're going to love this new show. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of College Football Uncensored. I'm your host, Tyler Huck, and with me as always, my co-host, Chris Marler. Chris, it is upon us. We only have a few more previews to do, which we will knock out tonight, and then it is game time. Yeah, we have one big preview for next week. That's about it. Everything else is done. We we did we knocked well, we didn't do Vandy, but we knocked out (laughs) I feel a little bad about that, but it just you know, this this business is all about content and views. I, I just feel like the Vandy episode wouldn't get a ton of views. That's not we could come on like like as himself as the head coach, and we still wouldn't get enough views. But that's fine. It's not a, a shot at Vandy. Coach, your thoughts on the over under this year? It's a two and a half. <laughs> but, um, um, speaking of betting, it's week zero, so there's like, actually games this week, and they suck. Um, but there's still games. So fired up, man! It is what? game week. What do you, what do you like? Is there anything that sticks out to you? Cause like, I mean, let's not forget our roots. We are a, a you know, at a core, we're a gambling podcast. Absolutely. Um, and is there anything that sticks out to you that you actually like this week? So I think it's gotta be the first game, Nebraska, Illinois. Um, mm-hmm. That game. So we, we, I think we briefly touched on it last episode, but we didn't really get into it. Scott Frost now under investigation by the NCAA. There seems like there's a lot of desperation going into this year for Scott Frost. Probably got to win some games this year. Illinois, they got a first year coach, Bielema. Um, I think it was this, this line opened at nine and a half. And it's come all the way down to Nebraska minus six and a half. So a ton of Illinois money is coming in on this one. Can you imagine, like you remember in Ferris Bueller's day off, Abe Froman, the sausage king of Chicago. (laughs) I I don't know how far champagne is from Chicago, but like Brett Bielema has to be the new sausage king of Chicago, right? Like (laughs) he has to be just putting down some food. (laughs) That guy. The the gif of him falling in the rain at Arkansas is Beautiful. one of my favorite gifts of all time. Beautiful. Um, but yeah, Nebraska, I feel like they gotta win some they gotta win some games this year. They were a nine and a half point favorite, came all the way down to six and a half. I think it's gone a little too far. Nebraska mm-hmm. minus six and a half against Illinois. Uh, the other games I don't have a read on yet. What about you? So San Jose State, Nick Starkle, I believe, is still the quarterback out there. They were really good on defense, and the under hit like a ridiculous amount of times last year. I'll just look it up. Um, the other one for me is I was going to save this little nugget for next week, but I'll, I'll bring it up now, and that is the fact that UCLA, 
they are like a 19 point favorite. Um, and I don't, I don't know what year this is for Chip Kelly. Um, and I don't think it really matters at all, but they're 19 point favorite over, uh, over Hawaii. I don't know how good Hawaii is again, not a lot of research involved in this, except for the fact that UCLA hasn't beaten a non-conference team in over four years. A non-conference team. I mean, think about that. Like, for real, think about it, because I'm still That's looking crazy. at this other stat. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's crazy bad. It's really, really bad. Um, so, yeah, I think that, like, like, let's see here. Hawaii returns all 11 starters on defense. Uh, it's also, it's at UCLA. So that's, I don't know if that really matters or not. Um, as a, a way to, no, they were not very good last year. Regardless, I'm still taking, I'm still taking Hawaii and I'm taking LSU to score a million <laughs> I'm going to go against everything. Week. Let's do it. No, no, that's not everything. It's just like, I was going to say that they were like one in five uh, or like four and uh, was it four and five against the spread overall last year. And that's Hawaii. I'm still taking Hawaii. I think 19 is way too much. Um, I, yeah. So there you go. Interesting. Yeah. The, the San Jose state, I kind of like the, I, not only do I like what you said, but I, I think I also like them with the points. Minus, minus 24. Minus Ooh, 24. I didn't realize San Jose State was undefeated last year. They were 1-11 oh. in, in 2018. Hold on. San Jose State is the pick of the week. They, they were... They returned 19 starters. 9 on offense, 10 on defense. Yeah, they were undefeated last year. They beat Hawaii. They beat Boise, Nevada, uh, Air Force. Like, let's see what they were against the spread. Southern they were 7-1 against the spread. Okay, so we're gonna lock that in as the pick of the week. Yeah. All right. Absolutely. Sweet. I'm gonna end up teasing. We have an action packed. There's only any money I bet. (laughs) (laughs) We have an action packed show today. When I say that, you guys all know we we left probably the three most popular fan bases in the SEC for the last episode. We got Florida with a with a big guest. Chris interviewed Mr. Chris Doring, Gator Great. Talk a little bit about Florida and previews that. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to make the interview. It has nothing to do with my allegiance to Florida State. It's just a coincidence. Um, then we talked to Graham Coffee for Georgia, which Chris and I are both high on Georgia this year. We didn't. We got one of the, uh, probably our worst guest for Alabama. Uh, this guy does not know a ton about the, the team. Um, the worst. The guest for this uh, this preview for Alabama. We'll go ahead and get into it. Is Mr. Chris Marler. Chris. I am not the guest. I'm an objective Welcome to the show. Big J journalist. And I am not, I am not doing that. Um, all right. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's really great to be here. Um, <laughs> big fan of y'all's podcast. It's really good. Thanks, man. Go rate and right, review. How do we want to do this? I already did like seven times. I have so many burner accounts that we've, we've rated this podcast with. Um, I'm, and I'm kidding about that. Uh, also real quick. If you have not yet, we're going to start doing the sticker giveaway starting next week. If you have not yet, go give us a five-star review, like and follow, or follow the podcast, and we will send you a, a sticker um, to say thank you. All right, let's get into it. Where do you want to start? Um, we'll, we'll recap last year. It was a good year for Bama. Why would you do that? One of the best offenses you'll see in college football. The offense under Sark led the nation in passing efficiency, third down chances, averaged 542 yards per game, 49 points for, per game. But the offense loses a lot, including Sark. Um, we'll start with the OC. 
They move over to Bill O'Brien at, at offensive coordinator. I thought it was an interesting hire. His, yeah. pedigree, his pedigree is obviously off the charts. He was Brady's QB coach in New England. He got a promotion. He was the OC there in 2011 when they had a monster year. They had some killers out wide like Aaron Hernandez. See what I think. Uh, Gronk, Welker, Edelman. They had no star running backs, yet Brady was amazing that year. He threw for 5,000 yards. Moves over to Penn State, head coach, did well, all things considered. They were on heavy sanctions. The only reason he got a bad name in the NFL is because he ruined the team as the GM, but they were actually pretty good when he first got there. Pretty big deal. Yeah. A head coach should never be a GM. Um, this is like the fucking 1920s when it's like, all right, you know what? I'm the manager, but I'm also going to be batting seventh today in the lineup. <laughs> Name's Pete Rose. Um, what? what? He oh, yeah, he actually did that. <laughs> uh, now, Bill O'Brien's in the Saban Rehab Program. Um, from my research, looks like he does. He has a lot of the same concepts as Sark, actually, so maybe it'll be a nice transition over to him. Likes to use multiple backs, which is great, because Bama typically has multiple that are good. Quick short stick routes over the middle. You guys remember that with Welker and Edelman, guys like that. I think we can finally make a, a legitimate comparison when we talk about Slade Bolden. Hey, he's the yeah, next Wes Welker. Hey, actually, he might actually play a Wes Welker role. Maybe you could actually make that comparison. But um, so for, for their offense, we'll start there. It, it, what have you heard about in camp? Is it Does it look totally different? Um, is it a tough offense to understand because it's more NFL-type concepts? Like, have you heard much about that? No, and what, what, anything that I've heard has been – like, the, the biggest thing has been – they're young, right? And in, in any kind of fall camp, Saban's not going to give up that much. Um, Bryce Young is the quarterback. I've heard that all three quarterbacks they have uh, on the roster have actually looked really good. Paul Tyson, obviously, the backup, and the freshman, uh, Jalen Milrose. Um, that dude Milrose, looks like sorry, a beast, by the way. Yeah, he looks like like, like very similar like pedigree to Jalen Hurts. But, um, you know, this year it's Bryce Young's team. A, a Like a higher, higher rated recruit – Ventua um, comes from modern day high school in California. He is, he is all of the like, you know, high school credentials you could, you could want. Right. Everything that I've seen, the biggest question for me is like, you lose so much production and and every Bama fans will say this nonstop, but how like, well, you know, they don't rebuild, they reload and they've got, you know, Brian Robinson juniors coming back as a, as the running back and they still got five stars everywhere. And it's next man up. You saw a couple of these freshman receivers step up uh, in the spring game. So for me, the question is like, who does step up on that offense? Cause you are like, it's not just like years past where you're like, all right, we either replace like, you know, a, a 10 touchdown guy. Now, as you hear us at 30 touchdowns, Devontae Smith won the Heisman. Mac Jones put up a ridiculous season in just 10 or, you know, I guess like, what was the total? He broke um, the SEC single season passing record. Right. Um, and the completion. I don't know. Record. For me. Yeah. Which is like held or I guess like was broken the year before by Joe Burrow. So dude, 77.4% is absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> like, yeah. And yes, but like that, I think you're going to miss a lot of that because you know, for me, like Bryce Young, it's not like Bryce Young is walking in a situation where he's got a bunch of veterans around him, right? Like, right. Like, and 
I think the biggest thing that's going to help him is that defense, which we'll get into a little bit later. But for me, it's it's how young that team is. Um, we've seen this in years past where it's kind of taken a while for the offensive line to gel. We saw it in 2019. Um, in 2020, you didn't really have to deal with that because you had, you know, Alex uh, – why am I forgetting his last name? Alex Leatherwood. Um, you talk about Evan Neal playing right tackle. And you have, you know, anchoring down your center, you had Landon Dickerson. And you were able to kind of like go into the season knowing that was there. So for me, it's just about the youth. Like which which of these young receivers? Because they signed a ridiculous class, just a ridiculous class, um, specifically at receiver. So which ones come in right away and step up? Let's go back to to Bryce Young. He, he's on the smaller side. He's five eleven, six foot on a good day. He's he's more mobile, obviously, than Mac Jones. Mac Jones was known more for being a pocket passer. He's, I've seen some comparisons out there to, to Russell Wilson and his, his type of play, his build. Um, he's working with a young team, though, very talented, but young. Um, you lose When you lose, like you said, Harris, Devontae Smith, Waddle, three starting O-linemen, you're starting tight end, four offensive assistants. You have all that, and then you have the other side of it, which is he has a lot to live up to, man. Like, not just where the offense was last year, but this whole NIL shit that has blown up. Oh, he's yeah. already making a million dollars a year. He's not even stepped on the field yet. That's a lot for a 19-year-old kid to come in and, and put on his back. And I get he was the number one recruit coming out of California at the quarterback position. But what are your expectations for him this year? You know, I've seen, I've seen anything from like, you know, he could take a, none of the expectations I've seen have been low, right? It's like Heisman. It's, you know, my expectations are, I I honestly just want to see somebody manage the offense and and like limit turnovers because he's a guy that he creates a lot of plays with his feet. He's a guy that's like able to make a lot of extra plays um, and and fit balls in the tight windows and and do stuff athletically that Mac Jones definitely couldn't do. And and maybe even Tua couldn't do without getting injured. I don't know. But like, there's also the ball security part of it because the number one thing is to be like, especially there's not a lot of breaks in the schedule. And and I know people might think that sounds crazy because it's Bama, but like, you open with Miami, which is a good football team. Mm-hmm. You get Florida at Florida in week three. At the very least, that's a very hostile environment. You get Ole Miss in week five, and that's after they've had a week off uh, to prepare for you. And then you go at a And M. I mean, you, you play the very eight next games week. in a row. The very next right. week at Ole Miss, yeah. So I, there's not a lot of room for error. And I, I feel like, for me, the biggest loss is not any player. It's Steve Sarkeesian. Because like, there's not a lot of times where Bama's had – the continuity that's gone from year over year where you've, you've kept a lot of coaches on staff. Um, so I'm not trying to sound like doom and gloom. I think, I think that all the pieces could net, like they could be in place. You've got talent everywhere. Right. But what does that look like week one? Right. So running back, I don't, I can't remember the last time a Bama team hasn't had a running back that is, sitting up on the Heisman, you know, uh, I guess, what is it? Stage, um, with a bunch of quarterbacks and then a, a Bama mm-hmm. running back. Cause he's just all world. So, so Brian Robinson is a guy that most people talk about this year. He's a Tuscaloosa native, the number two back last, the last two seasons behind, uh, Najee 509 total yards last year, six touchdowns. So we'll start with him because I've also heard a lot of good things coming out of camp about Trey Sanders, who's the number one recruit at running back position coming out of high school, but it's bad, a lot of injuries. Brian Robinson 
is he going to be used as much as Najee was? Because Najee had 251 carries for almost 1,500 yards, 26 touchdowns, and he caught 43 catches last year for another 425 yards and four more touchdowns. That That's insane. I mean, 251 carries is insane. Like, that's... I mean, Henry had 397. Yeah, well, that's so also insane, insane to who. <laughs> yeah. um, no, I, I think that 251 over a 15, like a potential 15 game season. Yeah, that's right. And, and that was a shorter season last year, although they did I think play 15 games. By the end of the year, yeah, he definitely will. I, I, but I don't think you'll see him use as much as Najee because one thing people don't remember, or like not people don't remember this, but. You know, people didn't factor in as much as how much Najee was used in the in the passing game. And I don't know if Ryan Robinson is a guy that's going to be used in the passing game. Like, if they trust him anywhere near as much as they did with him. Because, like, it's it's a kind of more old school about how they've seen it in years past. But you have, like, you know, you have a back that is – you have Ryan Robinson who's, like, a, like a phenomenal runner, especially in between the tackles, right? Um, runs hard. And I mean, like, hard. But it – like out of the backfield, you'll probably see Jace McKellen. I mean, you'll probably see, uh, or Jace McClellan, um, somebody like that, that is more of a all purpose back and, and more elusive in space. So I don't know. I think it's going to take up multiple people to, to make up for like that loss. Have you heard, have you been hearing good things about Trey Sanders as well? Just as yeah, and- Trey Sanders to be like the, the, breakout star of this offense for like three straight years. Um, yeah. <laughs> I've heard good things. Like, I mean, can, he was in a really serious, uh, you know, I think it was like a, either a helicopter or like a plane or something like that. Like wreck. Um, or, you know, I know he was airlifted. I don't know if it, it was like, you know, he was, was in a helicopter, there. but it was already after the wreck. Right. It was like a car. Um, but, uh, regardless, like he's also had an ACL injury. He's had a, like, you know, several injuries, like to kind of, set him back. I hope he is because we've also seen him at times where he was not, um, that might've been last year. Like he, he did not look great early on, like early on. It might've been 2019 as, as well. But, um, I, I think the, like the running game is going to have to be like the, the most stable part of that offense for like the first several games. Yeah, you got you got a lot to replace that receiver. Let's move there. John Mechie, the big name there, finished with 916 yards and six touchdowns next to Devontae Smith last year. That's not 916 yards is a fantastic year in college, but it was just Ooh. so overshadowed by the fact that Devontae Smith was the Heisman winner. Uh, he actually averaged more yards per catch than Devontae did. Uh, so I think he's the known entity there. People know Slade Bolden as well. You know, future owner of Slade Bolden Chevrolet Tuscaloosa. Um, <laughs> You may, like I said before, you may actually be able to say that he is the Wes Welker of the offense when you're talking about Bill O'Brien being the offensive coordinator and he had Wes Welker and Julian Edelman type guys in that role. Um, But there's a ton of young, obviously super talented receivers. The guy that stood out to me when I watched the Bama spring game was, um, I think, I think, I don't know how you say his first name, Ajaye or Ajay Hall. Yeah. Um, he looked impressive, man. And I remember he's from Florida. So he was on my radar a couple years ago coming out and he was one of the best receivers in the state as a junior. So I think he might be the next big game breaker, but any, any words on, on newcomers and who could break out of that position outside of Mechie and Bolden. And then is Jaleel Billingsley, like after the whole Saban rant, what's, what's, what's going on there? <laughs> So, um, well, yeah, well, let's look like, we'll, uh, 
move on to the defense after this. Um, Cause I don't want to spend like the entire episode on, on Bama, but like, you know, we know they're what they lack. Um, I think the receiver part is like the biggest question because what, one thing we've seen that's been consistent in Bama um, over the years, like whether it's Lane Kiffin on the offense, whether it's um, Stark or, or whoever you've seen um, them key on one person. Like in 2017, Jalen Hurts kind of got tagged with that. Like it was always like Calvin Ridley, but we've seen one guy be the focal point. And you look at last year, they, they only returned one of their top five pass catchers. Um, and you had, again, Najee Harris, uh, who had the fourth most, I mean, Najee Harris had the fourth most receptions um, on the team, right? As a running back. Jalen Waddle had the third most. He was out for most over of half the year. <laughs> yeah. So like, like, 23 touchdowns. Like talk about the production. John Mechie had six. I think like people that are smarter than me think Mechie will be just fine. He will be one of the top receivers in the SEC, if not the country. Um, one person I've heard a, a decent amount is, you know, you talk about, uh, what's his name? Jameson uh, Williams from, oh, yeah, from Ohio, Ohio State. State. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that that's a guy like that, you know, a very high level recruit, a guy that comes in right away and adds like depth to a place that desperately needs it. For me, the Jalil Billingsley thing is like he became like a really good weapon, like a very underrated weapon at the end of last season. Um, he only had three touchdowns. He didn't like his numbers won't blow you away, but he was a very, very big weapon. Uh, I think for that offense, like you know, at the end of last year, his counterpart. Because I think what you see, you talked about earlier, 2011. You talk about with with Gronk and Aaron Hernandez, and and he comes from the NFL. Um, background where they use a lot of multiple tight end sets. Cameron Latou, who's my breakout player on offense, he's a guy that I think will be like, I think they'll be fine at the tight end position. I really do. Um, you might not have both of them because I think Jalil Billings will probably play at some point. I don't know what he's been doing off the field. It, obviously, it's been the subject of several, uh, you know, a couple saving rants and um, quotes. But I think the keys for that offense, they need to have productive tight end play. I think they will. And there has to be another guy. It's going to be a young guy, most likely, because Slade Bolden, I don't think, can do it for you. But who's going to be the other receiver to take the attention off Mechie? Because Mechie, I don't know how this happened so much last year. Devontae Smith, he would get open no matter what the coverage was. Like Everyone in the country knew who's getting the ball. I don't think you're going to be able to do that this year with, with this cast. One name to, to note, I think, before we move to the defense, uh, he's a freshman, so we'll see. But you mentioned Slade Bolden may not be able to get the job done. Uh, Christian Leary, he's a freshman that just came in. Went to college and was pretty good friends with his um, head coach from high school down in Florida. He said that dude is the absolute truth. Um, nice. So he's 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 more of a slot player so keep an eye out for christian leary moving to the defense personnel losses aren't nearly as massive on that side of the ball they do lose certain and barmore dylan moses you know was the all world guy coming in he i don't don't know if necessarily that's a huge loss given his health uh relatively um I, I don't know about you. Uh, I don't know what the stats would say if you look at you know advanced analytics but it doesn't seem like the defense has has been Bama defense of the the past two seasons under Golding. Uh, do you feel that way too or no? No. So I think that Golding got a really bad rap in 2019. Um, 2019, they lost their, their starting two linebackers, which were the only players like in that position that were not freshmen. You lost a six year senior and you lost um, a guy. Yeah. Dylan Mo- Moses, who was like a projected first round pick at the time before his injury. 
um, you had a lot of players that were not very experienced this, like last year, that defense was like, I mean, they gave up points at times. Um, you know, people like to talk about the old miss game. We talk about the Florida game. Those are really good offenses or top five offenses in the country. Yeah. And, and saving kind of talked to this is, you know, I bring up the 2011 defense all the time as being the best defense in college football history, because statistically they were unmatched. They gave up like 8.6 points per game and like 171 yards per game. We're never going to see that again. Yeah. Like defenses aren't, aren't going to be that good um, in the way that like the game is played now with like offenses being so such a focal point. I don't think, the, I thought the defense was really good last year. I thought it was really good. I mean, they were able to do a lot of different things. They were able to like pressure the quarterback. They were able to, you know, at times they weren't great against the run, um, but I thought they were really good. They, they were going into this season. It's obviously the strength, um, but you know, I, I I think that the biggest difference between even last year is you don't lose anything from a leadership standpoint. Sir Tams was fantastic. Barmore was great late in the year, but like you don't lose anything from a leadership standpoint. You, you return still a lot of talent in the secondary. Josh Job, I think statistically, like PFF, of course, uh, was one of the best cornerbacks in the country last year. He was fantastic. Um, you know, the, the starting defensive tackles, I think you're going to see like players that are going to be more consistent than Barmore because he kind of came on at the end of the year when he wanted to. And then you talk about those linebackers. I mean, having Henry Toto step in and with Christian Harris, and then you have so much depth there. I think the defense will be really good. So I was looking at it. Christopher Allen and Will Anderson were first and third respectively in tackles for loss in the SEC last year, which by the way, ridiculous for a true freshman like Will Anderson to come in and do that with that kind of production. You know who was fourth in the SEC in tackles for loss? Henry 2020. Love it. So nice little ad there to pair with the first and yeah. third. Um, then you pair those guys with Christian Harris. It's almost unfair what they're doing at that position. Uh, Malachi Moore was a freshman All-American at yep. Star. So I feel really good about the Bama defense this year. Um, I don't. I mean, I don't know really what else to say. I think they're probably going to be they'll fight Georgia for the top unit uh, defensively in the SEC and in the country. Yeah, I mean, I can see that. Um, you know, they'll not leave out San Jose State because they are absolutely loaded uh, and returned so many starters on defense. They were great. But, um, you know, for me, it's it's that, like, that D-line. Like, that, that 2017, 2016 Bama teams where you saw so many, so much, like, not just talent on defense, but you saw, like, non-offensive touchdowns and, and constantly making plays. Like, I think this team will need to do that early on with, with such a young quarterback. Um, Tim Smith would be the guy that's a, a breakout player for me. And if that defensive line can stay healthy, they're going to be really good. They're going to be really, really good. So the over-under on this team is 11 and a half. Uh, so what? They basically have to go undefeated, right? Mm-hmm. So the juice is on the under. I think that's fair. I think... I'm very conflicted on this because I've learned over time that I never bet against Bama. I just don't, I refuse to do it. It's a bad idea for your wallet. I also have a principle that if someone has an 11 and a half over or under, you have to bet the under. It's just, yeah. you, you can't bet on someone going undefeated. It's just, it's not s smart. So I'm taking the bet as a pure prince. I, I hate this. Cause I'm already going to regret it. We're going to, we're going to hang up here and I'll be like, I just bet against Bama. And now 
I'm going to be wrong and Bam is going to go undefeated. But pure principle, I got to bet the under. I know Bam always reloads, but there is so much to be replaced on the offensive side of the ball, not just with personnel, but with coaching. And Saban's the best in, in the game at being able to do that. Um, but they have to go undefeated. And you go yeah. on the road to Florida, on the road to A&M, you got Ole Miss and LSU at home. Uh, there's a lot of landmines there for, for a team that has so much to reload. Plus, you had Miami, like you said, at the neutral site. So I hate betting against Bama, but this is a pure principle bet. I'm going under the 11 and a half. What about you? Yeah, I am too. I think they go 11 and 1 or 10 and 2. And I think that... Um you know, there's a lot of confidence in Tuscaloosa. I think, you know, especially because of that defense and they have talent everywhere. But for me, nine of the past 10 seasons, well, I'm sorry, not, not including last year, eight of the last 10 seasons, you've lost at least one game. I like those odds. There, there are a lot of landmines, like you said, in this, uh, in the scheduling. And, you know, that first game, I've been saying this all offseason, I don't think that they're going to cover that 17 against Miami. When you talk about a, a Rhett Lashley offense, a, a very dynamic playmaker quarterback and you know like a manny diaz coach defense that is notorious for blitzing getting after the quarterback providing a lot of pressure i think that early on man there, there's four games there that are like you're gonna see bama at least once where they have to survive like like i'm talking about like where they have to survive like the right. old miss game last year and I, and I mean that for either miami florida a&M and Ole Miss, you might see multiple games like that. Um, now, once they get through that, I, I think they'll be fine with LSU. It's a revenge game. It's at home. Um, and I think they'll handle, you know, the rest of the schedule, including Auburn. But yeah, I, I just think that in a year like this, um, it, there's just, you look at Georgia's schedule. We talked about it earlier, like, uh, we'll, we'll talk about it later on. It's a lot more, um, it's a lot easier to navigate than this one. Yeah. They, they're, Clemson's obviously a huge opponent for Georgia, but they're going to be favored in every other game, no doubt. Um, and they should win every other game based upon, you know, some of their opponents being a little bit down this year. Um, so yeah, we're both going under. So as you know, Bama will go undefeated at this point, probably win the championship again. Uh, cause you never bet against Bama, but it should be interesting. You know, I, I, I could see this being the season where, Bryce Young has a couple hiccups and people are like, oh man, he's just not the guy. And then the following year, he follows it up with one of the best seasons of all time. You know, that kind of story. Um, Go ahead. No, that's all I was going to say on that. There's two things that could happen this season that I think would be hilarious. As like somebody that grew up as like a Bama fan. What if this defense really is that good and is able to kind of like be like that 2016 defense and they, they kind of changed that whole narrative of like, well, defense doesn't really matter anymore. Like what if they were able to just be head and shoulders with everyone in the country and just be dominant? The other thing is what if Georgia fans hear me out here? What if Bama goes 10 and two and somehow gets to Atlanta with no chance of, of getting into the playoff unless they was and plays Georgia and Georgia's 11 or 12 and 0 and they beat them. I mean, I don't want to know. Just, I don't want to know. Well, I, I don't, I don't want to know what Georgia fans will feel like that after that. I just don't even want to know what that don't put the hate on me, Ricky Bobby. We'll find out soon enough. It'll be uh, it'll be a fun season for sure. Yeah. So we got a couple more teams coming up. We got um, Florida and Georgia to, to get to after this. And so we appreciate you tuning in. 
Hey, it's game week, baby. Let's go. All right. So we are now joined by one of my good friends and a very special guest, Chris Doring. How are you, man? I'm good, man. I appreciate you having me back on. I mean, I think the last one, one of the last times that you had me on, I think I talked about your weight and uh, that was probably not a very nice thing to do, but I think it did spur you to actually get in better shape. So how much are we down yeah. now? Um, I haven't weighed in a while, uh, but probably between 2025. You're one of those guys. Like I, I don't weigh. I just, I just go off of how my clothes fit. You know, I just feel good about myself. No, that is the last part is definitely not true. And you know that, um, no, but it's, I mean, I, you know, I moved into a new place. I don't have a scale yet. We'll figure it out. I, I mean, I, I look, I'm at an angle here, but I look, I look better than before. You look very good. I gotta be honest with you, man. And, and you know, I'm one of your biggest cheerleaders and you were updating me as you were going and changing kind of your lifestyle, man. So I'm, yeah. I'm very proud of you. And as I have been for a long time and looking forward to continue to watch your success, bro. I appreciate it, man. You as well. I heard you're doing great at this, this whole SEC network. I guess they're going to stick with it. Um, but we're just sign a new two year deal. Um, I, I got re-upped. So that's uh, that's a big thing. I don't know if I'm, I guess I'm supposed to say that the, the announcement is coming forth next week, but uh, yeah, happy to be back, man. Looking forward to being back with the boys for another fall here. Good deal, man. Well, we're going to talk about your alma mater today. Obviously um, we are going to be doing team previews. Still it's the last episode of the team previews and we're going Going big. It's going to be Georgia, Bama, and Florida. We want to talk to you about Florida. You kind of brought this up the last time we spoke. And it's funny because it's like starting to kind of catch on now. They were in camp and everything like that. The quarterback battle. Um, before we get into anything, like, you know, tell me what your thoughts are. Where is it currently? And, and who do you think wins that job? Uh, don't, don't stop. I mean, fat, make sure you finish patting me on the back because I was one of the first and only people that said, hey, this is not a foregone conclusion that Emory Jones is going to win the starting quarterback job. In fact, I think Anthony Richardson presents a very valid challenge. And this was back like in the spring, as we were talking about this, mm -hmm. meanwhile, I'm watching mock drafts with Emory Jones as the number six pick overall or something crazy. Like, Hey, I hope Emory Jones wins the job. He's stuck around. He's done the things that most quarterbacks that are highly recruited don't do in this day and age. And that's persevere and wait for his opportunity. But the thing that you want to do as a coach is you want to build talent. You want to create competition at every single position. Mm -hmm. And I love that Dan Mullen has always kind of done that you know, at the quarterback spot too. So uh, I have heard a lot coming out of camp about how Anthony Richardson is, is performing really, really well right now. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see those guys both play a lot this season. I think they both are, are great fits for what Dan Mullen wants to do in terms of their athleticism and their running ability. But Anthony Richardson, there's something kind of special about him. He's got a big arm. He's a big guy right here in Gainesville as well. So a lot of us uh, Gainesville people are, are cheering for him in that respect. But um, I think Florida's quarterback situation is in good hands and, and the offense will look a little bit different than it did with Kyle Trask last year. But it, it's a little bit more like the traditional Mullen offense that we've seen at Mississippi State in the past. Yeah, I think, you know, either way, being able to open up the full playbook, because coming Trask was not a runner. Um, I think that'll be great to see in, in this year, with, you know, Florida football, especially under Mullen. I don't know if you've heard this, and I know you're, like, kind of close to the program and all that kind of stuff and, and you know, kind of tuned in. But, like, so they lose a lot of production. Florida does this year. And they haven't really been talking about that that much in the offseason uh, from any pundits or, or preseason magazines or anything um, and losing the first round picks and Kyle Trask. Uh, and I'm, obviously I'm kidding here, but but give us an, a name we probably haven't spoken enough about yet that could be a breakout player in, in 2021. Well, here's the thing, man. I mean, everybody's talking about the quarterbacks you lose, the quarterback you lose and, and the receivers that you lose, including the tight end Kyle Pitts. I mean, like 
I'm looking around at the depth chart at the receiver and tight end position. I feel really good about those guys that have played a lot of snaps. Jacob Copeland was a highly recruited guy that kind of has a chance to now burst into that number one receiver role. Xavier Henderson was a freshman that played a lot last year, uh, so he had some much-needed experience. Trent Whittemore, another guy from right here in Gainesville that you're going to see making big plays for Florida this year. So there, there's a lot of guys that have experience there, and, and you look at the – the tight end uh, zipper is a, a guy that's that's played a lot as well. So, you know, I don't really feel like it's a huge drop off. I know you lose highly uh, sought after guys at the NFL level and, and guys that were recruited in the first round, but are signed in the first round. Uh, but I, I just I feel like they're very replaceable guys because of the talent that's been recruited at the, at the wide receiver and tight end positions. The thing that, that I look at really, Chris, that I'm most worried about is, is Florida's defense. And it, and it all starts with their defensive line. I mean, the defensive yeah. line has been below par in terms of what Florida has had in the past, what they expect to have, being able to have the dominant players on the, on the line of scrimmage is something Florida has been known for. And they just didn't have that last year. They didn't have the ability to, to rush the passer with just their front four. They didn't have the ability to penetrate and create some, uh, some disruptiveness in the, in, in the run game. So that's where I want to see an improvement this year. And I think all that started last year in terms of the historically bad defense and inability to cover in the passing game started with the defensive line. Well, that was my next question. So it's, you're kind of a dick for going right into it. Um, I mean, I, was, I had a whole order, uh, of, order of operations here, but no, I mean, like speaking to that, I think you're a hundred percent correct. Like, cause we, we've talked about nonstop, like every single, like I said, radio station, pundit, preseason magazine, all we want to talk about is the offense. But I mean, that was a national championship caliber team last year, or, a, or at least a playoff caliber team last year. Yeah. If it wasn't for the defense, I mean, you know, they played Bama closer than anyone else in the country. Um, there were several games that they were, they were in, you saw they did the Georgia's defense. Like I, I would assume the defense would get better. And you talk about the defensive line. Is there, is there a breakout player on defense this year that we're not talking about? Well, it was nice to get Zachary Carter back. I mean, this is a guy that could have gone to the NFL draft last year. And, and so having him back is important. But uh, Javon Dexter is a guy that was recruited uh, very highly in, in last year's class, played a lot as a freshman last season, looks the part with the body. I want to see more consistency and, and more dominance from him. But I, I think those are the guys that you're going to look to. And and uh, obviously, Florida got some, some help in uh, the transfer portal, one from Auburn, one from Penn State. So can those guys come in and be impact players? As you know, you know, it's not just about your front four when it comes to the defensive line. It's having depth there. It's being able to roll 10 or 12 different guys through there and not really have a, a drop-off in talent. So I think that's what I'm looking for this year. It's not only the dominant players, but the depth of really talented yeah. players that you can, you can bring in to, to spell all those dominant players. Good point. Um, looking at the schedule, right? I, I know that you, you brought up a really good point months ago when we first had you on and you said – you know, all this stuff worrying about like what Mullen is going to do this year. Is he going to be able to replace these guys if he recruited well enough? And you brought up the point, like we weren't talking about those players as at the caliber we are now a year ago. So why are we all of a sudden, you know, like, like experts on the subject? So yeah. looking at the schedule, um, a lot is made out of the Bama game. A lot is made out of the Georgia game. Is there a game on the schedule that I want to say is must win, but do you think could swing um, the rest of the season in a, in a positive or negative way? Like we yeah, I mean, talked I, about I, before. Go ahead. 
it, it's one of the most difficult schedules in the country. The fact that Florida has to play both LSU and Alabama from the West this year as their crossover opponents. Uh, uh, those games are, are going to be really uh, challenging as the Georgia one is you mentioned, but I look at Kentucky. I think it's October 2nd, first weekend of October. Um, it's a sneaky big game for Florida, uh, Kentucky, that, that, that place has been rocking when the Gators come to town in recent years and they've had some, some near misses. I think this is the year that they feel like they can, they can get that elusive home win over the gate or something that hadn't happened for multiple decades there in Lexington. So that's one with Liam Cohen and his, uh, his new offense and, and Will Levis coming in to open up the passing game a little bit that I, I really think is a scary one on Florida's schedule that could swing you know, where uh, the, the balance of power in the, in the East. And, yeah. and, you know, I look at the, the second game of the season, that Missouri Kentucky game is going to be really big for determining, you know, who's looking to challenge uh, what we perceive to be the best in the East in Georgia and Florida. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, all right. Last question. We'll get you out of here. I know you got dinner. Um, and so uh, it, the over-under has been said, and this is how we've closed every single segment with this, is, is the over-under is nine, right? And it's, it's obviously in Vegas. They usually know what they're talking about, except for with the Tennessee line, because that's at six, and that makes no sense to me. Are you taking the over or the under and give me a, a, just an overall season prediction for Florida? Oh, man, that's a tough one because it's right at where I think, you know, the, the right. number probably should be. In terms of the over, like, I really believe, and I know you're not going to like to hear this as an Alabama oh, guy, but I think that sets up perfectly for Florida getting Alabama early when they're trying to get uh, the continuity and, and chemistry together with a new offensive coordinator and new quarterback and replacing the mm-hmm. field that they lost. Um, so I think Florida, you know, if they, if they can catch them at the right time and pull the upset, you know, I think this team is, is capable of winning 10 games. So I'm going to reluctantly take the over, although, you know, I, I think they probably end up somewhere right about nine and three, to be honest with you. Fair enough. Um, and just so you know, as objective as I always am, I actually have Bama going 10 and two this year. So there you go. I, I, that the, taking the under on Bama's uh, total, which I believe is 10 and a half, right? And I think no, it's 11 it and a half or it's, yeah, oh, it's 11 and a half. Yeah. 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 Like really all you got to do is lose one game. And, and with the way the sec West is this year and, and yep. the crossover opponent that Florida had or that Alabama has in Florida, like, I think taking the under is a smart one there. I think the other over, and, and, and I've been singing Kentucky's praises for years, but that Kentucky win total looks a little bit low to me as well. Fair enough, man. Well, we'll, uh, we'll have to I'm get you back winners. on. For some... I'm not, you're not even asking. You better be. I'm a man of the people. Well, I appreciate that, dude. Um, we're going to check back with you and see if these are winners, because if they're not, we're going to have a problem. So uh, keep those kneecaps safe, uh, and our, our guys won't get to you. But – We'll have you on again soon, man. We appreciate it, and uh, we'll talk to you then. Hey, thanks for dressing up, man. We appreciate the orange and blue. It's a Florida shirt. I appreciate it. Yeah, I love it. You're welcome. All All right, I appreciate it too, man. I'll talk to you soon. See you, bud. All right, we are now joined by a very good friend and uh, special guest, Graham Coffey. And I say very good friend. I don't know if there's another way to start this entire interview than than to get into what happened, how we became friends. Because um, first off, uh, Dog Out West is is his handle on Twitter. Um, he's got a, a fantastic podcast um, with another good friend of ours. Um, but it is it is Dog Sports Live for one. Correct. We became friends after getting into an all out public Twitter feud. Yeah, like a six-day public Twitter feud about an article I wrote after the Georgia-Bama game last year. Uh, 
that, you know, you, I had never talked to you or met you and you quote tweeted it with some really unkind things. And then, uh, they weren't like personal attacks. It was just, well, it was about Georgia fans. So it's, yeah. it, this is shocking to me because you know, knowing Chris, <laughs> he just never gets into spats like this on Twitter. Well, no, it, it's know, funny it's too, because like, like it went on and on. And Josh Hancher, Hancher is the, uh, I don't feel like I said that wrong, but like he's, he's the other host of the show. And he was like, you know, long time listener of ours, like a, a good buddy of mine. And, and, and he, he kept telling me, he's like, man, you and, uh, you and Graham are like too nice to be fighting this song. I was like, man, fuck Graham. And <laughs> totally. <laughs> like, yeah, he was like, He's like, no, man, you guys are, you know, you guys are similar type of dudes. You guys would be friends. I'm not gonna be friends with that fucking asshole. <laughs> Here we um, are. Now we're just, friends. So that's how I've worn down most of my relationships too. Just so gets that's how it happens. Uh, no, it's funny too. Cause it's like, you know, and now you have to hear about me being an asshole from other people uh, that have podcasts uh, that are similar, you know, but I don't think I'm going to make friends with them. So, so I'm just going to throw that out there. <laughs> how about we get into Georgia? <laughs> Fine. We'll do it. Okay. Uh, 2021 Georgia season preview. Um, just getting right into it. Biggest reason why this is the year and not like every other year when they say it in the preseason. Uh, quarterback play, right? I mean, JT Daniels is there. Uh, what we saw from him over the last four games of the season was good. Uh, there have been the, the the folks that are like, well, he did it against Mississippi State, Missouri, South Carolina, and a G5 team. But even opponent adjusted, his QBR was fourth in the country. So there's enough there to feel positive about as a Georgia fan. This is not uh, a Hudson Mason or uh, a Stetson Bennett. Like he's a legitimate talent that could be a, a high round draft pick, but more importantly, he seemed to do a good job getting the ball to all of the skill talent that Georgia has. And that's been a problem the last few years. Yeah. And you, you can say what you want about the competition, but the fact is he's the first quarterback since 2001 to have his, in his debut throw for over 300 yards. Yeah. There's only been four 300 yard performances since smart has been there and he did it twice in four games last year. So it's definitely a step up from what, what Georgia fan has been used to. Totally. Yeah. I mean, he threw for 400 yards twice in four starts and I, I don't think Georgia had had a 400 yard performance since Aaron Murray in 2013. So, I mean, definitely different. I think it was a little, just as a Georgia fan, almost unsettling. Uh, it was like, Oh, this is way too fast. Like what's <laughs> happening here. We're supposed to be, you know, grinding out six yard gains. Uh, but that was exciting. And, and, you know, I think that's the reason why there is a little more hype than usual around this, this Georgia team. Outside of the traditional, you know, the defense is ahead of the offense in camp. How is not only JT Daniels looking, but but the Todd Munkin offense? Because I you know I understand anyone that came in last year as a first year coach, whether it was a head coach or a coordinator. I honestly just give him a pass for whatever it was. I mean, I guess if, unless your name is Bo Pelini, um, <laughs> I just I, you know, especially on offense, you know, you need that precious spring and the off season to not have to do things through Zoom and. So I just felt like Munkin wasn't really able to open it up last year. So outside of the defense normally being ahead of the offense, you know, how how has the quarterback looked and, and how's the offense looking? Yeah, so you know, the like you said, there's always that defense is ahead of the offense early in camp. Uh that was kind of the word out of the first scrimmage. The second scrimmage sounded like it was better. Uh 
you know, Mocking installed in his words, he installed about 30% of his playbook last season. And Jeez. He, yeah. And even it was all the know, bad stuff too. So it's like, well, why would he even do that? <laughs> I mean, like, but I think a lot of people, you know, watched Georgia play last year. And even though like the, like the Alabama game, you know, they finished at 27 points, the Florida game was kind of an abject disaster, but you saw receivers open a lot downfield and just quarterbacks that couldn't hit them or find them. And so I, I said it the day after that game, I don't mean to interrupt you, but like, and I won't say this on Twitter, but I'll say it here. It's the safe place. But like I said this the day after it happened, there were several open receivers and several passes, There's about three passes that, that were like one was intercepted. A couple were like overthrown or underthrown that were the difference in that game where I, I thought Georgia could have honestly won by the same amount against Bama. And like, like by, by all means, it would not have been a 17 point loss that like the end of it, like that game, the scoreboard, I didn't feel like it was indicative at all. And if you had a quarterback, like I, I feel like Bama loses that game against JT Daniels. Yeah, possibly. Um, I mean, the Florida game, I think it was even that more, one. It was more egregious. I mean, the second half of that game, especially when when Bennett got hurt, uh, like you just saw drive after drive of Dwan Mathis overthrowing a guy that was clear by five yards and behind the defense. So I think you have to feel good about his ability to scheme guys open downfield and really have a vertical passing attack, which is something Georgia has not had uh, since Kirby Smart has been there. I think the question is what's going on injury-wise with – you know, especially for the Clemson game, you know, if you're, if you're looking just at week one, I think that's the concern is arguably your three best targets or three most dynamic downfield playmakers could be out for that game. And so I think we're going to find out just how good Todd Monken is at scheming some of these guys open downfield. You know, what's weird is that, that like, this is the first season in a long time. I feel like we're not talking about the running backs or, or like the defense like predominantly than any other part of the team. And so like getting into that a little bit, like the, the running back situation, y'all had an unbelievable amount of talent in that backfield. I, I, I don't know if it's the best, like, I mean, four deep. Yeah, sure. It's the, it's the best running back, you know, still running backs, maybe the country, but how do you split those carries? Cause it, there's so much talent. Like, like I said, you know, James Cooks, Amir White, I think Kendall Milton, it's almost the guy that I put as like my breakout player on offense, but mm-hmm. does he even get enough carries to, to, like make that big of an impact. So how do they split that? I think, you know, what you'll see is it's still Georgia. They're still going to run the ball. And I don't think you're ever going to see Georgia passing, you know, 70% versus running 30%. What is helpful in terms of distributing those touches is that all four of those guys kind of have their own unique skill set. You know, Zamir White, maybe, maybe has the most high end speed, and is is pretty good between the tackles. Cook is really dynamic, both as a pass catcher off of screens. Uh, he's the type of guy where, like, if he makes the first guy miss, he, he might go. Uh, Milton is probably the most well-rounded of all those backs. And I think it, last year, you know, there was a point in time before he got injured in the, the Alabama game where he was leading the conference in, like, yards after yeah. contact per carry. So – that's an exciting one. And then with Kenny McIntosh, you have a guy that, you know, I mean, he caught three passes on the final drive uh, in the Peach Bowl when Georgia came down and kicked a field goal to win the game. So especially with what we're talking about in terms of 
skill guys out at wide receiver and tight end, I do expect to see McIntosh and Cook used a lot in the passing game, especially early going in the season. You talk about receivers. Um, a lot's been made about just the health of the room. You know, obviously George Pickens last year tears his ACL in spring. I guess that was this year. It's been a long year. Um, yeah, I heard that. Does he, well, before we get into the rest <laughs> of those guys, uh, <laughs> does he does he play at all this year, Pickens? It, originally, when he got hurt, I thought. <laughs> No, yeah. I, I originally when he got hurt, I thought we'd probably seen the last of him. Um, didn't really seem like it would make sense for him, but by all accounts, he's remained extremely engaged and he's going to class and he is, you know, he was running straight line uh, back at SEC media days. There was a guy, Devon Wilson, who was a defensive back for Georgia that eventually transferred out, but he got injured around the same time in spring camp a couple of years ago and was back playing uh, that November. So I think it's possible, especially I would say if Georgia gets to November uh, with, with one loss or less and his inclusion could be part of a, a national title or CFP kind of run, then I think you might see him back on the field. I would say, though, it's probably a, a 50-50. Okay. Uh, but the other guys that were out in the spring, you know, you had Jermaine Burton, Dominic Blaylock, Marcus Rosemay Jackson. They all missed the spring with various injuries. You bring in Eric Gilbert. Now he's kind of missing in action here. Um, Kyrus Jackson's kind of like the, I guess you would say, the number one go-to guy that at least is healthy. Arian Smith has legit track speed. Um, yeah. The freshman Mitchell looked good in the spring game. But mm -hmm. what's the state of the wide receiver room, A, going into the Clemson game, versus, you know, kind of the outlook for the rest of the season. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you, you ran it down pretty well. Uh, Roseme by all accounts is a hundred percent full go. And I think truthfully, he's probably the best route runner on the team. He was really coming on before breaking his leg against Florida last year, but uh, he's a guy that not a ton of people nationally are talking about, but people within the program feel really, really good about. And I think he could be uh, in the starting lineup when they play Clemson in week one Smith, like you said, he's that guy, you know, just that, that world-class speed, but Burton seems to be, if not fully healthy, you know, 90 to 95%, I think he's full go for Clemson. So, I mean, if you put out Rosemey, Burton, Kyrus Jackson, Arian Smith, I think you're in a pretty good spot against Clemson. Uh, it's just sort of that second line. Can a guy like uh, A.D. Mitchell, who did shine in the spring game, in his first college game show up and, and really kind of have everything together right. and be where he needs to be mentally? And, and that's the question. And, you know, the, the tight end room is really beat up as well. And if you look at how Ohio State attacked Clemson's defense last year and Notre Dame attacked Clemson's defense in their, their win when they played the first time up at South Bend, the tight ends were a big part of the game plan. So keep an eye on Brock Bowers. Uh, he's a true freshman, has come in, been a lot of rave reviews about him. He had a couple nice plays in the spring game, but kind of a, a, a freakish athlete. I think he's got like a 48-inch vert and really soft hands. Um, yeah, so I think he's probably somebody that you could see targeted a lot in that Clemson game that nationally folks are going to, just feel like he came out of nowhere. 
Brock Bowers might be one of the better tight end names I've heard. It in a is. While. It's very good. Yeah. Brock, <laughs> he's from Napa, California too. I mean, oh, beautiful. Okay. Yeah. Oh, totally. Um, hey, Chris, before we go to the defense real quick, I know the O-line has a ton of talent when you look at recruiting rankings. Um, I've just been here and there, like just leading up to the season, I've been reading and listening to podcasts, just various reports on Georgia that the O-line I don't know, maybe a little shaky as compared to the talent. I know Warren Erickson broke his hand, which was the hand that he snaps with. Apparently he's ambidextrous, but doesn't seem like a great plan to try to snap with the other hand in a, <laughs> yeah. against Clemson and their D line. What what's the state what's the outlook for the O line? <clears throat> Sorry, excuse me. <clears throat> Sorry. So <laughs> I, I think with the O line it's kind of the classic Kirby smart philosophy of if you throw enough five stars at any problem, you'll solve it eventually. Right. Um, I think pass for everything. Well, maybe has it though, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. So there you go. But I, I think at center, uh, you've got Cedric Van Pran Granger, who, you know, was the number one center prospect a couple years ago. He was pushing Erickson even before any injury happened. So I'm not super worried about that. The real question is Jamari Sawyer played last year over at left tackle. He's really more natural as a guard and Georgia needs somebody to emerge kind of at that tackle spot so that he can go and play guard. Uh, Xavier Trust played in the bowl game and had a, a pretty rough go of it against Cincinnati's D-line. So I don't feel very hopeful about his outlook versus a, a team with a front seven like Clemson, right? Yeah. Um, you do have a Marius Mims, the, you know, the mm -hmm. all-everything recruit who uh, Tennessee was apparently throwing Happy Meals at. <laughs> I mean – there's been a lot of I, I've I've been told uh, from from guys that, that talk to staff members not to be shocked if if he's you know playing week one and starting wow at the midpoint of the year. Uh, Tate Ratledge is another guy that's come on really strong mm -hmm. who was a five star tackle two years ago. I think he's playing guard though, so it's it's hard not to feel like there's so much talent in that room that they'll find a, a best five, but especially against Clemson in week one, yeah. that's kind of the, that's, that's where the tight end depth worries me too. Cause Bowers is more of kind of that flex tight end and Fitzpatrick and Darnell Washington were both very good inline blockers. It sounds like Washington's out for sure. Fitzpatrick, seems like it's probably going to play, but is he limited? You know, how healthy is he? I don't think anyone really knows right now. Uh, but he was used a, a lot like a H back or kind of a sniffer at times last year when Georgia was struggling with pass rushes, did a really good job picking guys up. So if he can play, I think it's a huge boost just to kind of give that young offensive line some backup. And Tyler, um, even though you uh, skipped over my question and said we're going to move on to defense, I still had another offensive question like we've had in every other fucking preview we've done so far. Wow. First off. Yeah. Calm, very aggressive. Yeah. He barely remembers I'm a co-host. Um, all right. We'll just, just like, we'll make, we'll keep it quick and you just give me a name. But um, one, I think that offensive line will be fine. We're talking about having head coach, former head coach, Ole Miss football, Matt Luke. Oh, Matt Luke in that O-line room? You'll be fine, brother. You'll be fine. And for those of you who don't know, that's the best Matt Luke impersonation you've ever heard in your fucking life. The right. question I have is the, the breakout player on offense, we've seen for the past couple of years, and I'm going to use Bama as an example, guys like Jalen Waddell, guys like, like Henry Ruggs, 
um, put up huge numbers, right? And, and it's, I don't know if it's a similar offense per se, but if you're trying to have downfield, you know, like, like, like attacking more downfield, especially through the air, then I would say it's similar. When you've used that kind of speed, because you just obviously can't match up with that all the time, Arian Smith to me seems like a guy that's going to be a breakout player. Is there a different guy you have pegged um, for this season on offense? Uh, I, I would agree with you on Smith. If I was giving you another name just to be, you know, interesting, I would say uh, Adonai Mitchell. He's a 21 year old freshman. Uh, I mean, he was a three star recruit, but he's like six three, and he's long and he's fast and he's a good route runner. And he Why really, is he a 21 year old freshman? <laughs> I'm not sure. Truthfully, okay. I mean, is he you a know. three star in the classroom, or is he? I mean. I don't, I've, I haven't heard that. I think, you know, he was maybe held back. He was maybe a year older anyways. Kids get held right. back these days. Who knows? Um, yeah. But he was a guy that Georgia staff did a really good job of going out and identifying and, and bringing in. Um, and I, I think he's going to play a lot. So that would be my answer. Okay. Move over to the defense. Uh, overall numbers were really good, especially against the run last year. They did get gashed up by a couple of the more elite offenses they faced in Bama and Florida. Um, but they, you know, they were a little banged up last year as well. Uh, front seven is where it starts for Georgia. Um, should be one of the top two or three D line in the country uh, in total. Return a ton of experience led by Jordan Davis, who just I don't know why, but he turned down the player. NFL. Um, Jalen Carter seems like the next superstar off that D line, but just tell me a little bit about um, that that D line room and outside of Jordan Davis, who's the known commodity, who might mm -hmm. who might emerge this year. Uh, so Devontae Wyatt is the guy that no one talks about that they really should. Um, he's you know a, a three hundred pound guy with with four six four five even speed according to some people. Um, I mean, he's, he is a freak. He had more pressures, more quarterback hurries, more tackles for loss last year than Davis did and less snaps. Uh, and he's kind of the, the other D tackle there. Uh, and when Georgia goes to, to those four down sets, he can play D end or he can, he can line up as a tackle. So keep an eye on him because I think he will be a high round draft pick, but he's just sort of been overshadowed by Davis for the last couple of years. Uh, Trevon Walker is another name defensive end. He's coming in at 280 and he's been running down on kick coverage for the last couple of seasons. Just another freakish athlete kind of seemed like the lights sort of finally coming on for him. Um, I think Georgia will have the best, pass rush that they've had at any point since Kirby's been there, even going back to 2017 when they had Bellamy and Carter coming off the edge. Um, and then, you know, yeah, when you get into those, those linebackers and, and start talking about those guys too, there's some, some more elite athletes there. So I think it'll be scary for, for O-lines. You know, that, that class they had a couple of years back, I remember just being astonished and I guess it was two years ago now, um, maybe three, I'm not really sure, but uh astonished the fact that like they had the number one class in the country, right? They, they, they signed the number one overall player and it wasn't just the amount of five stars. I think it was like seven total or something. It wasn't just the amount of five stars. It was, it was like, like the, every, every single part of it was like incredibly impressive. You had like seven overall players that were the number one player in their state. You had the number one player in Juco. You had the number one player out of high school. Um, Nicobe Dean is a guy that like, I've, I've loved watching the first two years. Like who's a guy from that class you know, specifically that you think will, will take 
a, I don't want to say a, the next step, but a big step from where they've been the first two years? Uh, Nolan Smith. I mean, he was, I think, the number one overall player in the country mm-hmm. that class. And he's a guy that's just kind of always been a half step late from from making some of those big plays. And he's worked really hard. He's, he's coming off the edge very well. He's done a lot of transformation in the weight room. He already had a lot of those natural, you know, God-given athletic gifts, but I think he's really refined his game and worked on his craft and, and his handwork and his jump, snap counts, that kind of stuff. So I expect a big season out of him. Uh, there's also Adam Anderson on the opposite side yeah. who was in that class as well. He's already sort of been a pass rush specialist for Georgia, but, like, I think he may be a 10-sack guy for UGA just this year, just because I think he'll be on the field more than just third downs. Like he has been in the past. Dude, that's the hardest part for that entire defense. I feel like is like running numbers up because they rotate so many guys. 100%. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's tough because that's how you get like the, the whole Kirby smart can't develop false narrative because you know, it's like, Oh, well he had X number of sacks. But uh, if you just look at kind of pure, down-to-down football competency of being in the right place at the right time and making tackles and, you know, setting edges. Those guys are all doing the right things. I mean, there's a reason Jermaine Johnson transferred out of that room. And by all accounts, everyone on staff at Florida State has said he's come in and he's immediately their best defensive player. And, you know, he was a best player. Best player. Yeah. If you see here, I'm a Florida State fan. He's the best player on our – he's the best player on our roster already. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Which right. I don't know if that says more about Florida State or, or Georgia, but well, probably both to an extent, yeah. right? Yeah. But like that's that's crazy to think about. Um, the one thing that's hard about it though is like I do wonder for some of those guys, is it hard to just sort of get in that groove down by down and you know get a read on the guy that they're lining up across from and put moves on guys and get a you know yeah. beat on snap counts and stuff. So. It's a first world problem, but it still is a problem. Uh, we'll move to corner because I think that's at least headed into the spring. That was the biggest question mark on the team, just given the, the production that left uh, in the offseason. Keely Ringo was a big time recruit. I think he was one of the at least one of the top two or three corners in the country. He's out of Arizona, I believe. Uh, he's another year older. You pick up two really good corners in the transfer portal, Tyke Smith who I, I think from the last report I saw, he's going to be out for the Clemson game. Correct. And uh, Darian Kendrick from Clemson. How have they looked in camp? Is Were the two transfers who are obviously upper level have been playing for a while now. Darian Kendrick, I know, was all ACC twice. Uh, have they really filled that void or is there are they still searching for answers there at that position? Uh, I think Kendrick has come in and immediately submitted himself as a starter. Uh, Smith you know, is not a true corner. He's more of like a star type of guy that's going to play that hybrid sort of position. Um, Georgia always sort of splits time there. So I think that he was probably looking at splitting time with Latavius Brenny already, who's a a senior that's been in the program five years and kind of came on at the end of 2020. With Ringo, uh, what's interesting is, you know, with, with Tyke out and Clemson playing Justin Ross in the slot, you know, traditionally the way Georgia aligns their defense, you would be looking at Tyke Smith on Justin Ross all night. 
So it looks like Ringo is probably going to come in and play that slot corner, which is interesting because Ross is six, four Ringo's six, three Ringo's <laughs> like actually faster Jesus. than Arian Smith. Yeah. I mean, they clock the student like 23 miles an hour and practice all the time. So that's going to be running? a fascinating matchup. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'm fine. I mean, no, he's on a bike actually. Yeah. You never know. Could be a Peloton. <laughs> no. Right. But like, it's, you know, he's a athletically, there's no one on the team, maybe more gifted than him. He's just, he was hurt last year. He had a shoulder injury. He's never gotten to play. Uh, so, I mean, like talk about throwing him off the deep end, like good luck kid. Here's Justin Ross, have fun in your first ever college football game. He also Um, hasn't played in, you know, what, like two years now, right? Two years. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, the guy on the the other boundary corner is Amir speed, uh, who, has been in the program a long time. He was kind of like a developmental player, three-star prospect out of Florida. That's six, three good length, but just has always sort of been a rotation guy. And I don't think a lot of people expected him to, to start this year. And he's really just come on in camp and kind of taken that position. Apparently had a, a pick six of JT Daniels and a scrimmage last weekend. And is just making a lot of plays and, I think if you look at Clemson's roster, at least for the purposes of week one, you see 6'4", 6'3", 6'2", 6'4". It's just big, tall, lanky wide receivers. So it's probably nice that you're trotting out two corners that are 6'3", uh, if you're Georgia. Yeah. Um, so uh, one or two more questions. I want to get into like the, the season predictions and everything like that overall. But um, uh, one of the things that you do a really good job of, like you personally, is is uh, well, I haven't given you the compliment yet, so don't say it. Um, but you're really you're really big on stats, right? You guys go super in depth with stats, and it's it, like as somebody that is fascinated by a lot of that and loves to get into that as well. Um, give me your favorite stat. It can be one that people are talking about or not talking about. I don't care. But like, give me your favorite stat about this Georgia football team. Oh man. Um, I probably would be the returning production that, that George is bringing back. I mean, you know, the, the Bill Conley S and P plus, but I mean, Georgia returns like 88%, I think of their wide receiver production from last year, which if you look, if you look at recent CFP teams and national championship teams, um, there's always a lot of returning receiving production and continuity between quarterbacks and wide receivers. Uh, I think the other one that's interesting is, uh, and, and I wish that Josh was here for this, but uh, your, your CFP participants since the, the college football playoff came around in 2014, they have all been 2.0 net yards per a player better. So let's say they, they gain seven yards on offense and they only give up five yards of play on defense. Um once JT Daniels inserted was, was inserted into the lineup for Georgia last year, they were, uh, they were coming out, I believe, uh, at 2.6 yards per play, which is, which would be the highest that they've been during the smart era. So if that continues and continues to roll forward, then they do have the makeup of, of a CFP team. Hmm. That's a cool stat. I do like that one. Did you have one more before we got into the uh, over under Chris? No, that's it. All right. So Chris and I were actually talking before you got on. It, it almost seems like a trap here. Uh, over under 10 and a half. We were shocked by that. Um, the the juice is on the over. So people, people like the over. This to me, I mean, it's got to be the year 
that they make the move, right? No LSU, A&M, Bama, or Ole Miss in the regular season from the West. Um, Auburn's down. Florida's replacing a ton. Even Bama, you know, you talk about that, that returning production, that receiver and quarterback, That's they're replacing a ton there. Right. This is the year to me that Georgia has to take the step, and they can still lose to Clemson, and, and all their goals are in front of them. Um, I, I think this is a it's weird. I, don't, I hate saying it, but I think it's an easy over on the 10 and a half. I think yeah. Clemson is the only one that I look at on the schedule and I, I'm like, really, I think it's a toss up. I mean, otherwise I think they're going to be favored in every game. What about you? Chris? They will be, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I've taken the over as well. I, I think that Georgia, this is their year. And you talk about the returning production because that's even with Pickens going down, right? Like that's, there's still so much returning production on offense. We saw, we got a glimpse of it towards the end of last year. I think the defense, one thing we we didn't talk enough about last year and something that I've seen argued nonstop on, on Twitter, especially is, you know, they lose that game to Florida and they get like, you know, ran ragged with like all these uh, wheel routes. But Georgia had a ton of injuries in that, in that game, right? And, and for most of like, you know, the latter half of the season, I think Georgia wins 11 games. I, the Clemson game kind of scares me, so I'll, I'll be – you know, a little bit reluctant to say 12. I think they win at least 11 games. I think they win the national championship. I really do. Um, and we talked about just like the players returning for me, it's Dan Lanning and then having like, you know, your OC coming back as well with Monken. So it's like I, that for me, the continuity there is, is what puts them over the top and is different than anywhere else. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree with you on the continuity and you know, someone made the point recently and I wish I remember who it was. Cause I would give them credit, but probably um, me. It was probably you for sure. 100%. Actually, it was probably Tyler. You never say anything smart on here. Um, <laughs> you know, mocking comes from the NFL, man. And like this, this Clemson game in week one or a potential Alabama matchup or a Florida down the road or, or a CFP matchup. Like he's used to having to scheme up successful plays when you're, you're good on good. Right. Uh, and that's, that's a big advantage. Like a lot of college coordinators are, are kind of only used to functioning with a talent advantage at, at some of these programs. And so I, I do think that will help Georgia in 2021. I'm with you on the over. Uh, I put out some predictions on Twitter today, my, my East and West records for the sec. And I went 11 and one for UGA. Um, you know, I, I think that Clemson game may just be a bridge too far with some of these injuries, even if they win it, I just think it's really hard to go through a regular season 12 and 0. um, as a Georgia fan, I think I would actually probably rather see them lose a game before the playoff, just because there's always like the the reset that happens after a loss. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I I think you know the ten and a half does feel a little bit like a trick that that opened at ten, I believe, at one point too. So it's like that one is even stranger, yeah. but right. yeah, that's ridiculous. Yeah, but I mean, Georgia's also added, you know. Kendrick and Tyke Smith and Arie Gilbert since then. So it does make sense that it's bumped up a little bit. Awesome, man. Well, Graham, we appreciate it again. His Twitter handles at dog out West, uh, dog sports live show. Uh, where else can we find your stuff? Is it, is it, is it a YouTube show? Uh, dog sports yeah. live. Well, so we're, we're a podcast and a, and a video show, but yeah, our, our YouTube platform is probably where you get the most kind of bang for your buck, even though it's free. Uh, just, we do a lot of film breakdowns and highlights and, uh, Josh, my partner is really great with, with stats and, and graphs. So if you want kind of that analytical, 
uh, taste of, of UGA football, please come and check us out. Definitely. It's my personal favorite Georgia podcast. And there's a bunch of them out there. But yes, it's my personal favorite. I'll say that. So, But uh, we appreciate it on Grim. And uh, we'll talk to you a little bit later. Sounds good. Thank you guys for having me. Really enjoy what you do. Yeah, thanks, man.